1110 and 99.3 WBG. Brett Jensen here with you on this Tuesday night of Breaking with Brett Jensen. 704-570-1110. And guys, follow me on Twitter at Brett underscore Jensen for all the latest in breaking news in and around the Charlotte area. Um, or X, follow me on X. And Bo, Bo did that this morning. He said the term X as opposed to Twitter. And I told you last week I was going to really tried hard to start saying X just out of respect for Elon Musk for what he was able to do and turn Twitter around. Okay, so got a little bit to get into today. What do you think? A little, little bit happened uh, in national politics. You maybe heard me talk about it in uh, on the Brett Winnable show earlier today uh, to start his show right at 3 o'clock about the wildness that has taken place up in up in um, all the congressional districts that are surrounding, including the Democrats trying to sue until the district turns blue. Um, I think that's their mantra. Sue until it's blue. Because now they waited until the second day of filing to try and file a lawsuit against the, uh, against the districts and everything else. And it does not bode well. I will tell you this for the Democrats. A, they waited so late. So they're trying to hope that a judge will put an injunction in place and just push everything back several, several months, just like it did a couple months ago. Or I guess, uh, yeah, I guess it was last year or in 2022 when they did the same thing in 2022 when they tried to sue late and didn't like the districts. And you had the, uh, the primaries, you know, way off kilter. And so they're trying to do it. And, you know, no doubt, I have very little doubt, led by Mark Elias, uh, the lawyer and the law firm solely connected with the Trump Russia gate. How about that? Shocker, anybody? Shocker, anybody? So anyways, the dude apparently, I feel like he lives down here in North Carolina because he was like McCready's lawyer for a long time. And I even asked him, said, who's paying your bills? Who's paying your $1,000 an hour bill to represent Dan McCready and all this fight against Mark Harris? And, and he said, well, I don't feel comfortable saying that. Well, I asked Mark Harris that, and he goes, he goes, I'm paying my own bills. I had to take out like a mortgage or whatever on my house to pay for my legal bills. And I asked him the same thing, and he was like, yeah, I don't want to answer that. I was like, oh, so obviously it's not Dan McCready, so it's either the North Carolina Democrat Party or the National Democrat Party. So, but, we, we, we can get into that later if you want. We can totally get into that later if you want. But what I want to get into first is I'm in Trader Joe's, and I get a text, and it just says, Patrick McHenry to resign, Harrigan to run in his spot in District 10. Now, the Harrigan thing didn't catch me off guard. That did not surprise me. If all of this was true, that would have made that would make sense. What I had a very hard time comprehending was that Patrick McHenry, a Gastonian native, I know his entire family, grew up with him, played sports with him, actually worked for his father when I was 19 years old one summer. So I, I've known his family for a long time. Patrick and the older brother, the oldest of the brothers, I knew a little bit, but not a lot. But I knew his middle siblings, Nancy and Billy, really well. They were my age. So, and I'd known them since I was a kid. But anyways, 
Um, but I found it hard to comprehend that McHenry was going to just resign at the end of this upcoming, his final term, final session. Because he was elected in 2004, I think he ran for Congress in, when he was an actual student at NC State and lost, graduated, and then got elected, and he's been there ever since, since 2004. So he's been there 20 years. It will be 20 years at the end of next year. And he's like, I'm done. I'm out. I'm out. And I'm sure some of this has to go back to what happened with the McCarthy thing and how they did. The A, they wouldn't get him elected. The longest vote, I think, in congressional history, or close to it, if not the longest, to try and find a Speaker of the House. And then they ousted him much to the chagrin of many, they threw the coup d'etat at him. They named Patrick Interim Speaker of the House. And on top of that, you know, you hear that he, was, he wanted to be, you know, he was interested in becoming Speaker, maybe full-time. I don't know if that's true or not, but that was the rumblings that were being out there. And others weren't going to have any part of it. Now, people like the person in charge now and think that he's, you know, doing at least a decent job thus far. But apparently that whole entire situation really soured Patrick McHenry. That's what you're being told. That's what I'm hearing by multiple people. It just, it just, it just soured on the entire process. And so that's why he's like, you know what? I'm done. I'm out. Now, immediately speculation went into, well, what's Patrick McHenry going to do when he's out in January of 2025? Because, you know, the elections will be in 2024, and then I think uh, they'll change and do everything in January of 2025. So what's he going to do then? Some people said, hey, is he going to run for Senate against Tom Tillis, who's up for re-election in 2026? There are a lot of Republicans who do not like Tom Tillis, for whatever reason. I've never fully understood it all, but there are a lot of Republicans who do not like Tom Tillis. And they always basically say the same thing. When we go to the polls to vote, we hold our nose and hit Tom Tillis. So maybe, maybe Patrick McHenry can come in. I, I, I don't know. I mean, he's, he's definitely a name, um, you know. And so the fact that he was interim speaker, that means more than Lincoln County, Catawba County, and Iredell County is going to know who he is. And obviously Gaston County. So, but then there came the situation, the dominoes. Okay, so if Patrick McHenry's leaving, then what happens? So at that moment, I started calling everybody that I knew. I mean, everybody I knew. With deep ties to Washington, deep ties to Raleigh, ties to Patrick, like everybody. Everybody. To say, hey, I'm hearing Pat Harrigan is going to run for District 10. And every call that I had said, yes, he's going to District 10. He's leaving District 14, Gaston County, Cleveland County, Burke County, Rutherford County, I think, and, and the entire western border of Mecklenburg County and basically all of North Meck, Huntersville North. So it impacts Mecklenburg County. Every person said, yeah, he's leaving. 
every single person. And I, I debated on whether or not, so I reached out to uh, Pat Harrigan's two cell phones and his campaign manager's cell phone. <laughs> so uh, I, I texted them all. And I said, and all, you know, I just said, hey, do me a favor, give me a call when you get a chance. And I don't know, 20 minutes later, 30 minutes later, the, is when Harrigan announced publicly that he's running for Congress in District 10. Now, the questions are who else is going to run in District 10 on the Republican side? Because it is a Republican district. But by doing so, you would think Tim Moore now has a cakewalk to the District 14. Tim Moore, the current North Carolina Speaker of the House, who's running for Congress, District 14, like we just mentioned, that he will have a cakewalk. I was told today, in his first 30 days since announcing, he's already raised a million dollars. If it's not the fastest to a million dollars in a congressional candidate's history, then it's, it's damn near close. So he's already got a million dollars raised, and he's only 30 days in. And the primary is not till March 5th. So you would think he's well on his way to securing that congressional seat. A lot of people thought Pat Harrigan and had been trying to convince him to run in District 8, which is the Monroe, Cabarrus County, Albemarle, Anson County, uh, Robeson County going east, maybe even Columbus County. The, the Dan Bishop district, if you will. A lot of people try to convince Pat Harrigan to run in that district. A lot of high-ranking Republican officials in Raleigh and locally. And he said, no, he's staying, he's staying put. Well, he was going to stay in Gaston. That was until Patrick McHenry announced his resignation today. So we know that he's not going to District 8. Mark Harris, as of right now, looks to be the leading candidate there. He hasn't officially uh, filed for office yet. I think that's going to come next week. Pat Harrigan was supposed to officially file for the District 10 congressional race today, sometime around 4.30 or so, up in Hickory. So everything's starting to fall in place, except one thing. Who's going to run against Pat Harrigan on the Republican side? Because you know there will be people there. And the first person's name that popped in my head was Jason Sane. Jason Sane out of Lincoln County, he's got some very important positions in the North Carolina legislature. He also helped put together that gambling bill. He was one of the co-sponsors of that thing. So Jason Sane's got some power, and he's very well known. He's got connections to Catawba County, Iredell County. Is he going to run? What about a couple of others? Are they going to run? So there's a lot of questions. There's a lot of questions as to, who is going to run? Is it going to be Representative Gray Mills? Is he going to run? We, we don't know yet, and we won't know. But here's the best part. We will find out by next Friday. You know why? Because that's when they have, that's their deadline to file next Friday. If Jason Sane wants to run for Congress, he has to. He has until Wednesday to, next week Wednesday, a week from uh, week from tomorrow, to un or to withdraw from his current place where he's trying to be as as a representative because he's already filed 
to run for re-election. He has to withdraw his candidacy and then refile to run for Congress. He has until next Wednesday. But if you haven't filed yet, you have until next week, Friday. Everyone in North Carolina, if they're running for office, has to file by Friday next week. So a lot going on. A lot going on that impacts every single one of our listeners. Every single one of our listeners, minus the South, everything south of the border, York County, Lancaster County, you know, that whole area, right? Chester County. That, it does not impact you, but everyone from Carowinds North in earshot of me, it impacts you what happened today with Patrick McHenry because all the dominoes fell right around our districts. With the exception of Mark Walker and Bo Hines. That's the only district that was not impacted by this. All right, when we come back, let's get into a couple other things real quick. I'm Brett Jensen, and you're listening to Breaking with Brett Jensen. Welcome back to Breaking with Brett Jensen. Uh, So, because we went so long, or I should say I went so long during the first segment, we is more of the royal we. Um, but because uh, we went so long and I didn't want to stop in mid-thought and mid-sentence and just I wanted to put everything compressed together right there uh, in that first segment talking about all the congressional stuff that we are damn near up against the break now. But I do want to tell you this, that um, Harrigan actually did not file today and if he did, nothing's on the website that he says that he filed. As a matter of fact, Nobody in District 10 on either side of the aisle has filed yet for to run in that district. So maybe tomorrow, maybe the names will start coming in tomorrow, maybe early next week. Maybe that'll start happening as well. We'll see as people take the, you know, take the weekend, you know, the rest of this week and the weekend to discuss it with their families to see what they think. Should they, should they not? Because... It is all life-consuming to run for Congress. All life-consuming. Because you're not one district. You're not, you know, 30 neighborhoods, 20 neighborhoods. You're in every neighborhood of every county. That's what that is. And it takes a lot of money. And there are a lot of people out there who have money already in their pockets and a lot of money people who can raise a lot of money but it is very, very time-consuming, and it's all-encompassing. And then once you get there, no matter who it is, doesn't matter if it's Pat Harrigan, Jason Sane, anybody else, doesn't matter who's running for that district, or Tim Moore, or Mark Harris, it does not matter. You know what matters? They're going to get elected, they're going to go up there, and they're going to be moved to the very back of the line. There's 438 uh, uh, congr- uh, congressmen up there. Congress people, four, I think 438. You think these three aren't going to be towards the back? I mean, Jeff Jackson, Dan Bishop. It took a while. It took Dan Bishop a while to get up there, and he finally did. A lot of people already know who Dan Bishop is. But it's just the nature of the beast. It doesn't matter really who you are.
WBT is proud to present the 30th annual Hancock's Bike for Kids Bike Drive, presented by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of North Carolina. It is this Friday, as in three days from now, December 8th, at WBT, right here in our front circular driveway. It's almost set up perfectly where you, you come in one side. It's like a horseshoe. You come in one side, you'll drop off your bikes, and we've got the tractor trailers and all that stuff. And all the WBT personalities will be out there. And we say hi and everything else. And Bo and I and Brett Winnable and Garrison and all of us are going to be live on air. Now, I will tell you that Bo Thompson and yours truly will be closing it down from 7 to 9. Now, I will also say I am no fool because I know for a fact, had Beth Troutman not already had prior commitment a couple months ago, it would be Bo and Beth. Which, you know, on a Friday, hey, you know. Um, But I remember last year I showed up with Maggie. And uh, a lot of people came up to Maggie, and Maggie was like the bell of the ball. Everyone kept going, oh, my gosh, is this Maggie? Is this Maggie? So Maggie will be again. She will be with me for the two and a half hours or three hours or whatever it is that I'm here. She will be with me. Um, Got a... I got a lump on her paw today, so that's always pleasant. Like, we finally got her a food that she's eating, her dietary food. Went to physical therapy today for her, and she had been gnawing at just looks like a lump. It almost, I don't know if it's a cyst, I don't know if it's a, a boil right there on the top of her paw. I went, Of course, you got this. I finally got you eating, and now this popped up. So, anyways, but, um, but yeah, we will all be out here on Friday, rain or shine, because there have been times where it has been torrential downpours, and we have people, you don't even have to get out of your car if you don't want, and we got people that will take it out of your back seat, the bikes, or the bikes out of your trunk, back of your truck bed, whatever. You don't even have to get out of your car if you don't want to, because we have people that will actually do that for you. But this year's friends um, at Woody's Auto Service, This, by the way, so this year our friends at Woody's Auto Service has generously made their 14 Charlotte area locations available for as bike drop centers as well, making it even easier for your generous donation of a new bike to reach a kid in the need this Christmas. So visit WBT.com for details and Woody's Auto Service locations. So you either go to our website or here's an idea fire up the old Google machine, as they like to say, and type in Woody's Auto Service, Charlotte. Make sure you include the word Charlotte, and all the listings and addresses of Woody's Auto Service will pop up. And if there's one near you and you don't want to drive all the way uptown, let's say you live in Huntersville or Cornelius, or let's say you live in Matthews and you don't want to drive all the way to one Julian Price place, which we're right here on Moorhead, about a mile or so, mile and a half from the stadium on Moorhead. If you don't want to drive all the way up here, there's going to be a Woody's Auto Service right near you. And you can just do it there. So, as they like to say, there are no more excuses. Well, I don't want to drive, you know, the 30 minutes. It takes me 30, 40 minutes to get there. Not anymore. Not when you got Woody's right there beside you. 14 locations. So, thanks big time to Woody's Auto Service for doing all that good stuff. All right. So, yesterday... Uh, didn't have a show, obviously, but did a lot of reporting about the two deaths of the CMS students. One that was in a car crash yesterday morning. Um, speed was a factor and plowed right into the back of a stopped 
water tanker truck in their Honda Civic. And one person died at the scene, an 18-year-old male, and two girls are in critical condition at CMC Maine. As a matter of fact, they were airlifted. But, and that happened yesterday morning, but Sunday night at around 7.40, a 14-year-old was shot and killed outside his house and tragically shot in the head. But a 19-year-old has now been arrested following the shooting of that 14-year-old. Garinger High School student, by the way. Uh, CMPD is saying that Johnny McClendon was shot in the head around 7.40 Sunday night. Obviously died at the scene. It's a horrible thing. And we now discovered that, look, I, I know I am going to just completely butcher this name. My Hygi, M-Y-H-I, so it sounds like it would be my high, and then G, J-E-E. My Hygi major turned himself in, actually, to police. He was interviewed by detectives and then charged with involuntary manslaughter. Involuntary manslaughter. That's, that's different. Uh, you know, you would think, oh, my gosh, you know, someone's shot in the head, but actually turned himself in. So maybe it was a complete accident, involuntary manslaughter. It's not voluntary, involuntary. So, uh, but he had been arrested at least three times, according to records, since May of 2022. And he was also talking about Johnny McClendon. At Geringer, he was also on the basketball team there. And so, you know, look, he turned himself in. And that's, uh, that's, that's got to be easy for a police and the family. And a GoFundMe page has been started by Giovanni McClendon's family to try and help pay for the funeral services. Because, let's be honest, how many 14-year-olds, 20, 30, even 40-year-olds have life insurance. Like, seriously, who? Nobody. I, I, like, no, very few 40-year-olds I know have life insurance unless they've got, like, two or three kids and their wife is like, you really need to take out life insurance. And then, of course, the old joke is that you immediately start getting suspicious. Why are you wanting me to take out life insurance? But that's the, uh, but yeah, so obviously they've started a GoFundMe page. And it makes all the sense in the world to try and get that covered and paid for. Because, I mean, may not be a family of means. Like, funerals are so damn expensive. It doesn't matter if you cremate, but let's say you actually want to bury them. Bury your loved one. Caskets are what, 10K? 8K? Something like that? Like, cheap ones, I think, are what, 5K? I could be wrong, but then you got to include all the services and the embalming and everything else and the plot of land and the headstone. Like, that is not cheap at all. Yeah, average casket cost I see uh, from the Lincoln Heritage Life Insurance Company uh, says they're between two and $5,000 okay. and can be as much as 10000 or upwards. Okay. So. All right. So let's just say hypothetically $3,000, but you still have to get the plot of land the cemetery land that you have to buy. You still have to buy the headstone. You have to do all the embalming. You have to pay all the, for the funeral services and everything else. It's not cheap. Not cheap at all. 
So, anyways, but the person turned himself in. My hygiene major turned himself in, charged with involuntary manslaughter. I tell you what, it's also a lot different than what people initially thought it was when they heard he was shot in the head outside his house. Everyone went immediately went, gang execution, gang execution. So, anyways, just still a bad situation. And there's not a lot of update on the two girls uh, at Atrium in terms of their status, their health status that were involved in that car wreck. Welcome back to Breaking with Brett Jensen. A few more minutes here before we get to 8 o'clock. Follow me on X at Brett underscore Jensen for all the latest and breaking news in and around the Charlotte area. And, okay, well, as a matter of fact, I think I was the first one to put out there that Harrigan was running for District 10. So I keep telling you, follow me on Twitter. Um, okay. You guys, most of you know that sports was my background for 25 years. So here's what we're going to do. I, I want to, there's a couple of things I want to try and get into this last bit here. But the first thing I want to talk about is the college football playoff. All right. A lot of people are seem to be really ticked off, especially in the world of ESPN, political correct ESPN, the worldwide leader in woke. Um, all upset and up in arms that Florida State didn't get in. Apparently, the fine folks at ESPN, which created this drama of a committee, basically, and having it always telecast on their network and everything else, forgot that at the very, 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 very beginning of when they went from the two of the BCS people, which the computers did, to four, which the people chose, Condoleezza Rice was on that very first committee for the first couple of years and stuff like that. Apparently, what they forgot was that they were going to pick. It's, it's basically in the mantra. It's like in their decree. You pick the best four teams regardless of record. First and foremost, four best teams regardless of record. And I will tell you this right now. If you had to say, all right, Alabama and Florida State, the chancellor of Florida State, if he had to bet his house, would bet on Alabama. The ACC commissioner who came out in all this fake disgust would bet on Alabama. You know who else they would bet on? They'd also bet on Georgia to beat Florida State. With a healthy quarterback or with their current third-string quarterback, it would not matter. Everyone, no one, your life depends on it. Your dog's life depends on it. Your mortgage depends on it. Who are you putting it on? Florida State or Alabama and Georgia? So that's easy. That's easy. You could make an argument that it should be Georgia instead of Texas. But the problem is Texas beat Alabama. What, game two of the season way back in September? Alabama's nowhere near the same team as they were then. I mean, they benched their quarterback, brought him back, and they've been rolling ever since. And if you have Georgia and Texas together, 
I don't know, Georgia might be a small favorite. But here's probably where the committee got it wrong. The committee got it wrong in this. Washington, by far, should be the number one seed, which would probably make Michigan fans happy because that means they wouldn't have to play Alabama in the semifinals. But Washington, but without question, they had a much difficult, much more difficult schedule. Like, it's not even close. And I want to say seven or eight of Michigan's opponents had, an, had their offenses ranking in the bottom 100 of college football. So think about that. Eight of your 12 opponents don't even have an offense that rank in the top 100 in football, college football. You got wins, a home win against Ohio State, and a road win against Penn State, and that's all you got. You know what your other big win is? And you think I'm joking? East Carolina. That's your other big win. Washington, on the other hand, best conference in the country, beat all these top 10 teams, top 20 teams, beat Oregon twice. Oregon was actually favored in that game on the neutral site in Las Vegas. Washington wore them out. Wasn't even close. So Washington should be one, Michigan two, I guess Texas three, and Alabama four in that order. And there's no one on the planet that believes Georgia wouldn't beat Florida State. Florida State is number five, Georgia six. Uh, I believe Ohio State is number seven. Nobody believes that Florida State would beat Ohio State or Georgia either. Now, here's the best part. Florida State's playing Georgia in the Orange Bowl. So Georgia may be like, Ugh, you know, we got screwed. We, don't really, we really don't want to play in this game. Because bowl games are all about who has a vested interest. It's been that way since the beginning of time. And it continues today. Do you have a vested interest? Or are you just like, yeah, whatever. Don't, doesn't matter. Don't care. Like Tulane beat Southern Cal last year in the Sugar Bowl. Think about that. Tulane beat Southern Cal. Because Southern Cal didn't care because they were all upset that they didn't get to the Final Four. So what's going to happen with Georgia? Are they going to have the hangover? But here's the thing. It may not matter because it's Florida State. And the, the Florida State people, they don't want this because if they go out and lose by 20 points to Georgia, everyone's going to say, see, I told you. See, the committee got it right. By the way, I think Georgia is a 14-point favorite over Florida State in the Orange Bowl. So, I, uh, I, I don't think the committee got it wrong. I mean, once Georgia lost, Florida State was out, period, period. And, well, Brett, they're undefeated. Yeah, it doesn't matter. They played in the god-awful ACC. I mean, the Big Ten might is actually even worse than the ACC. I mean, the Big Ten's every year just the biggest joke of a football conference every single year, year in and year out. But the ACC, it's a, it's a very bad, irrelevant football conference. It is. It's completely irrelevant, especially when you don't have uh, North Carolina any good, Clemson's not any good, Miami's not any good. You know, Notre Dame has one foot in, one foot out. So you're 13-0 with a third-string quarterback, and you barely beat Louisville in a, a game that was unwatchable played right here in Charlotte unwatchable. 
And then on top of that, you know, they barely won the week before. didn't look good doing it. Meanwhile, Texas is going out and just smoking Oklahoma State. And then you have Alabama doing to Georgia what they did. So, yeah, once, once Alabama beat Georgia, Florida State was out, period. Because, again, the actual determination of that committee is to get the four best teams regardless of record. That's their mission statement. Actually written down. And that's what they did. You could argue Georgia, Texas, Alabama. You could argue any two of those three. But they got it right. They actually got it right, and I love the fact that Florida State's playing Georgia. All right, everyone, that's going to do it for tonight. Tomorrow night, Sheriff Gary McFadden in studio with me for a full hour. Look forward to that. And as always, we'll actually take your phone calls. If you got any questions for the sheriff, he'll be more than happy to take them for you. All right, everyone, until tomorrow, I'm Brett Jensen. You've been listening to Breaking with Brett Jensen. WBTAM Charlotte. WB-